The thrill and excitement of March Mania is here, and DraftKings Sportsbook, one of America's top-rated sportsbook apps, is giving new customers a shot to turn 5 bucks into $150 instantly in bonus bets with any college basketball bet. You can find all the lines and available odds, of course, at the DraftKings Sportsbook app. North Carolina listeners, don't forget, DraftKings Sportsbook is now live in your state. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app and use code SBNFL. New customers can bet 5 bucks to get $150 instantly in bonus bonus bets only at DraftKings Sportsbook with code SBNFL. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or in West Virginia, visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 8778-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly on behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort 21 plus age varies by jurisdiction. Void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.com slash bball for eligibility, deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. to the Nick and Nolan Show, a Buffalo Rumblings podcast with your host, Nick Bat. Sometimes I'll start a sentence and I don't even know where it's going. I just hope I find it along the way. And Bruce Nolan. I once worked with a guy for three years and never learned his name. Best friend I ever had. Welcome, everybody. Thank you so much for joining us for this edition of the Nick and Nolan Show, a Buffalo Rumblings podcast. I'm one of your co-hosts, Nick Bat. You can find me on Twitter at N-I-C-K-B-A-T, and along with me, as always, Bruce Nolan. You can find me on Twitter at Bruce Exclusive. You're back. Bruce is back. I am back. It's good to be back. Hello, boys! I'm back! Did you have a nice break? Did you have a nice little vacation there last week? Yeah, I did have a good vacation. I would say overall it was it was a necessary time off, but I, I'll level with you. About halfway through it, I was I was itching to get to note taking again. So I've actually had the notes for these particular pods that we're doing today and tomorrow. I have had these notes done for a while now because I, I had to get to them. All right. Well, th- what we are going to go through today is. Something that would have been a little bit more of a topic of conversation outside of what you and I are going to do if the Bills had drafted differently, right? If the Bills had drafted either Jeremy Chin or Kyle Duggar or perhaps even some other prospect that we didn't get as much airtime to that was going to be primarily playing or potentially playing the role of the big nickel, also known, I think, by some as the Buffalo nickel. This is a position that is a... Well, I'll let you characterize it in a, in, a, in a few minutes, but essentially this is a this is something that is a big part of what Sean McDermott at least at least did during his time in Carolina. And he has used guys in roles like uh, Raphael Bush and Dean Marlowe at times in similar roles on the Bills. And, you know, there was some talk that the Bills wanted to put somebody in that role who was a more ideal ideal fit for it because Saran Neal is a guy that um, 
I think was at one point thought to be a, a drafted player destined for that role. And, and you can describe whether that has or has not come to fruition. But before we go you know, too much further into it, do you want to characterize a little bit about how much the big nickel matters to Sean McDermott or, or you know, when he started using it and any sort of historical understanding of the position that you can give us? So it's important to start with what the nickel is, right? So nickel by definition is five defensive backs on the field, right? That's what the nickel comes from. It comes from the, the five defensive backs, which base defense has four defensive backs on the field. And so historically what that has been is it has been three corners. Your fifth defensive back has historically been a corner and they were traditionally smaller, faster players set to cover smaller, faster players in the slots. Think your Cole Beasley slot receiver, your more traditional slot receivers. And that has historically been how this is. However, Modern offenses have done a really good job of forcing you into either base or nickel, depending on what type of player they want to get on the field for their offense versus what type of player they'd like to get on the field for your defense. We talked about this when we talked about the Ravens, and we talked about how they force you into base defense by putting more tight ends on the field. And then taking advantage of the fact that someone who is typically only on the field for maybe 10 to 15 snaps, which is your third linebacker, is now on the field way more often doing way more things than you wanted that person to do. So they're taking advantage of a weak point in the defense. Well, the same things can happen if you have a nickel corner and the opposing offense has a bigger slot receiver or they have a tight end they like to flex out or things like that. And so because of it, this big nickel concept is sort of a hybrid between two points. It is neither base defense, nor is it traditional nickel. It is a simply a middle ground. And the reason why that middle ground was even necessary is because offenses forced you to play in that spot. So when you and I talked about RPOs, run pass options, we talked about putting a defender in conflict, making them make a binary decision where they're always going to be wrong. If they go left, I go right. If they go right, I go left. That is essentially what is happening in modern offenses, except instead of doing it to a player, you're doing it to a system. You're saying, listen, we have a particular set of players that we feel good about. And if you go nickel, you're too small. And if you go base, you're too slow. That is essentially what the big nickel was created to combat. This idea that the defensive coordinator with their personnel groupings will always be incorrect based on their particular personnel groupings. If you pull in your third linebacker, now you are too slow to handle the types of plays and the types of personnel that I have on the field. And if you go traditional nickel and you bring in your traditional nickel back, now you're too small. And my ability as an offense to run out of 11 personnel perhaps is going to create problems. So in the very same way that creating binaries for a player in an RPO creates problems for a defense, creating binaries for a defensive coordinator then creates situations where you're always going to be a disadvantage. So essentially, the big nickel is an answer to this. We talked about this a lot when we talked about how offenses do one thing and then defenses do a different thing. And then the offense responds to the defense and how kind of the NFL game evolves around this punch and counterpunch concept. Well, that counterpunch to, hey, you're going to force me to live in a purgatory I don't like. You're going to force me as a defensive coordinator to live in a purgatory between base defense 
and nickel, and I don't like it. I'm uncomfortable with this because no matter what I pick, I'm wrong. So I need a special type of player to allow me to live comfortably in this purgatory so that you as an offensive coordinator with your personnel groupings do not take advantage of me. And that's essentially what the big nickel is. That becomes necessary because offenses are doing things that are making you uncomfortable, but largely that that was not always the case, right? I mean, offenses for you know a generation ago, they were running a three wide receiver set. You were rolling out your nickel and it was kind of just punch counter punch, right? It, it wasn't necessarily anybody was trying to take advantage of another one schematically through personnel. It seems as though the reason that the big nickel became a necessity or is becoming a necessity or is you know util- utilized by defensive coordinators is because the skill sets of the same kinds of players who who I shouldn't say that the skill sets of players who same who play the same position as previously are now different. Is that is that part of what created the necessity? Yeah, that's part of it, because you and I mentioned this when we talked about Tommy Sweeney. Tommy Sweeney would have been a completely reasonable starting tight end 30 years ago in the NFL. But now with the advent of move tight ends and flex tight ends and big slots and things like that, that has changed the game when it comes to these kind of things. And in addition to that, there is a, there is a specific emphasis on horizontal spacing with offensive run schemes. We see this with the Isaiah McKenzie jet motion. We see this with scenarios like the San Francisco 49ers who have motion on a tremendously large amount of their run plays. And these are all designed to be able to hold that backside defender and create artificial gaps with the run. And you need more special athletes on defense to counter this. And that's part of all this together creates a scenario where you need to have a smaller linebacker or a bigger safety or a special type of corner in place of what you previously had as a traditional nickel corner, a smaller, lower hips to the ground, inside, outside breaking availability player. That's not that's not traditionally what is necessary anymore unless you're matching up against that particular type of player, which you might be, right? If it's Jamison Crowder from the Jets, then you want a Taron Johnson like player. You want a smaller, quicker, you know, player who can handle that kind of, you know, inside outside breaking stuff, but that's not the only type of slot player you're going to get now. And that's not the only type of personnel grouping you're going to get now. So because of that, they're forced to kind of live in the middle, and that's what Big Nickel is. Is there any NFL players in the past that you can point us to that we would all know that have some name recognition that have played this kind of a role in defenses? Yeah, the obvious one is Shaq Thompson from the Carolina Panthers. And Shaq Thompson, if you look at the the way that he's built, it's a, it, he's six foot, 228, 33-inch arms, four four yeah, four six four in the 40, 169, 10-yard split, 33-and-a-half-inch vert, nine, nine inch broad. So he's a good athlete. He's not a special athlete, but think about it this way. Those tweeners between linebacker and safety that didn't used to have a spot. Now they kind of might. Previously, defensive coordinators weren't really good at, at handling tweeners. And the reason why they weren't good at handling tweeners is because offensive coordinators weren't good at handling tweeners. But now as offensive coordinators get more creative with their usage, thus then Defensive coordinators now have a spot for those tweeners, those players that are maybe a little too small to be a traditional linebacker, 
but maybe not quite as dynamic as a traditional safety. Those players like Shaq Thompson, for example, have a spot. Now, Shaq Thompson, it's not just about the athletic testing measurements. That, that's very, very, very shorthanded to just line up Shaq Thompson's athletic measurements next to someone else and go, oh, look, he's a big nickel. Because you got to understand that the big nickel is a role. It's important to note this. It is a role, not a position. There is a difference. And we should make sure we stop and talk about this now. A position is what the depth chart says you are. A role is what the coaches ask you to do. So I'll give you a great example. So you and I have talked about swing tackles before, and there's some discussion about what swing tackle actually means, right? So my argument has been that if you're the first person off the bench, if the left tackle goes down, and if you're the first person off the bench, when the right tackle goes down, you are the swing tackle. That is, by definition, your role. Now, you could be better at it than some other people, or you could be worse at it than some other people, but that's a role. If you are the active player on game day who will be the first man up if the left tackle goes down and the first man up if the right tackle goes down, you're a swing tackle. That's that's your role, but it's not your position. You're not going to be listed on the roster as swing tackle. It's the same thing for the big nickel. It's a matter of role. So, With Shaq Thompson, the reason he's able to fill the role is because of all the versatility he showed in college. The reason why someone like Shaq Thompson was a first-round pick and someone like Matt Milano was a fifth-round pick, even though they have very, very, very similar athletic testing, like eerily similar. Matt Milano, 6'2", 223, 32-inch arms, 4'6", 7 in the 40, 1'6", 5 in the 10-yard split, 35-inch vertical, 10-foot, 6-inch broad. Very very, very similar to Shaq Thompson. But why isn't Matt Milano playing it? Because he doesn't have the movement skills that Shaq Thompson has. He doesn't have the ability to play in space as well as Shaq Thompson does. When Shaq Thompson came out, the question is, what were you going to do with him? Not, can you do something with him? It was, is he going to be a safety or is he going to be a linebacker? Because he did all these things at the University of Washington and everyone was like, what are you going to do with Shaq Thompson? So it's not just about the athletic testing. It's about the the versatility you showed on the field and specifically your ability to play in space that then translates to the role. Why is this particular position so important to Sean McDermott's defense? Let me back that up, actually. Is this something that other teams use a lot as well? Let me ask that question first. Yes. So funny story, Bucky Brooks actually wrote an article about the big nickel usage in 2014. It was on NFL.com. It was six years ago. So this is not a new concept by any means. It was about how defenses can avoid putting their worst players on the field, which is one of the things that offensive matchups trying to get you to do. They're trying to get you to put your least talented players on the field as much as possible. And again, you and I talked about this when we talked about the Ravens offense. And so, yes, this is something that a lot of teams are looking at. Now, the reason why Sean McDermott likes it is because Sean McDermott runs a fairly simple defense. This is not a really elaborate schematic defense. The nuances from Sean McDermott's defense, you and I have talked about this before, a lot of it's safety play. A lot of it is Micah Hyde and Jordan Poyer's ability to disguise coverages and hold their disguises long into the snap. That is a big part of what makes this defense tricky. It's not because there's elaborate scheming going on. And because of that, Sean McDermott really, really, really doesn't want to get pushed out of what he does. 
And so if you can find dynamic athletes that can stay on the field through multiple offensive personnel packages, that allows you to do more of your stuff more often and to not get pulled into things you don't like, which is one of the reasons Sean McDermott likes it. One of the reasons he likes it is because if you have three dynamic players, two linebackers and a potentially a big nickel who could be a linebacker, could be a safety. If you have those players and you can keep them on the field in snaps where everyone else would go base and you can keep them on the field when snaps where everybody else might go nickel, that allows the offense to not dictate to you. Now you're like, okay, what's that? You're going two tight ends. Okay, fine. We're going to use the same 11. Oh, what's that? You're going three wide receivers. Oh, we're, uh, we're still in the same formation, still the same package. Like you can't force us to get one of the players we like off the field. And that's valuable, especially when you have a more simplistic defense. Okay. So I've got, I've got two questions. One is how hard are players that have the ability to do this to find? That's question one. I guess there's a one, there's a one B with that, which is, or a one A, which is if everybody is doing this, or if it's becoming more popular, which maybe that's not exactly what you said, so you can correct me. Why isn't this more talked about as like a, as a high draft pick type of of role? You know, why 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 aren't more guys talked about who are tweeners? Why is it more of a knock against them as opposed to a you know, a, a Barrett badge to say, well, this guy could play the big nickel on the defense for the Chicago Bears. This could be the big nickel for the Arizona Cardinals, et cetera, et cetera. So that's that's question number one. And then number two, maybe you can tie into this. The Bills were looking at Kyle Duggar as a potential uh, big nickel prospect. That was at least how it was. The, 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 the news was being presented to fans during the, the run up to the draft. You have said to me that that seems curious because Kyle Duggar didn't actually display the, I don't know, the behaviors or the activities that he would be asked that he would be asked to do if he was actually the big nickel in the Buffalo defense. So what are the actual responsibilities of the big nickel? And maybe that'll help answer why why these guys are or are not hard to find. Okay. So first part of your question, are they hard to find reasonably? They're reasonably hard to find because tweeners are not hard to find, but tweeners who are good at multiple things are harder to find than tweeners who are okay at multiple things. So the question is really, why are you a tweener? Are you a tweener because you do everything well and we just can't decide where to put you? Or are you a tweener because you don't do anything well and we're trying to decide where to hide you? That's a big difference. Why is somebody a tweener? Are they a tweener in the negative slanting of the word or are they a tweener in the fact that they're versatile enough? Is it Isaiah Simmons as a tweener? Because that's a whole different discussion about being a tweener than everything else. So the answer is yes. They Because think about it. You want someone who can fill the role that would previously be occupied by a nickel corner as a smaller linebacker or a bigger safety and have all those traits, which then leads into the second part of your question. The second part of your question, the specific thing that I want to see from a big nickel in my defense, if I'm a defensive coordinator, is I need you to be able to operate in space. And what I mean by that is one of the things that linebackers are questioned about in today's NFL is how well can you cover out of the backfield, right? And it's not even that with a big nickel. It's more significant than that. I need the coverage abilities of a corner in the body type of a small linebacker. That's what I need. 
to play a big nickel really, really well. And that's the reason why Shaq Thompson got $13 million a year, because you can keep him on the field anytime you want. There are very, very little scenarios where you are required to take Shaq Thompson off the field, because if you want to keep him as a third linebacker, you can do that and he can do that. And if you they go nickel and there's a player out there that you feel comfortable with Shaq Thompson covering, he can cover reasonably well. And that's difficult, which means unless you have an absolutely unicorn slot receiver where you go, OK, you know, I, I just I don't feel comfortable with Shaq Thompson covering this player. Aside from those scenarios, you really don't have to take him off the field. So what I want as far as traits go is I want agility and hit motion and coverage abilities in space. Would it be nice if you can blitz off the edge? Yes, that'd be great. Would it be nice if you can come up and support the run? Yeah, but that's your size that we need from that position is going to help with that. So really the number one thing is change of direction and play in space. That is my number one concern with that. Now, in regards to Kyle Duggar stuff, Kyle Duggar was a deep high read and react, come downhill and crash player in college. That doesn't mean that he can't do big nickel stuff. What that means is that we didn't see it from him. That's what it means. So the reason you would take Kyle Duggar and put him as your big nickel is because you go, listen, freak athletes like this do not come along. So I understand that he didn't necessarily do a lot of that stuff in college, but he's a freak. And I like freaky athletes and I can teach him to do those things. That's the reason why you would do that. I think Jeremy Chin's skill set lended itself a lot better toward that than Kyle Duggar's did. But if you take Kyle Duggar, it's not because you saw him do those things on film all the time. It's not because you were like, oh, yeah, clearly this translates. It's because the athleticism translates, not the play, not the the tape, because the tape, I would make an argument, doesn't translate. But the freaky athleticism necessary to do the things you wanted to do, that does translate. Are there physical characteristics that on average are going to get in the way or are going to help a player in this role? I would assume just because of the movement skills needed, there's a certain size where when you get too big, you're probably, I mean, unless you are an absolute freak, you're probably going to lose out on the speed necessary to play the position. But are there any ideal uh ideal physical characteristics, not necessarily athleticism, but just size and such that are, you know, prototypical for what you'd want in this role? Yeah, I think you're right on the size thing. If you, There's a point where you get too tall and your hips are too high for you to be able to get down in the brakes. I mean, think about some of the players you're going to be covering in the slot. Then you think, okay, it's not just about Gronk when he flexes out. That's not the only kind of player I need to deal with. It's also the fact that I have to deal with hips that are a lot lower to the ground. And they're able to kind of sink a lot better, make quick decisions with their body and separate in the short area. I need someone a little bit shorter who can do that. So, you know, six foot five is probably a bit, you know, Tremaine Edmonds is probably too big. Now, the difference is Tremaine Edmonds is the freakiest of the freaks. So, yeah it's not like there's thresholds. It's not like there's absolute barometers because you always run into unicorns like Tremaine Edmonds, right? Who is the freakiest of the freak. freak. And, but ideally 
You would like somebody who's a little bit under that. You don't want someone who's you know six four, six five. And I think ten yard splits important because I think the op- the ability to accelerate, plant your foot and go. I think the agility testing numbers are important. The short shuttle, three cone, things like that. Because I need to be able to have somebody who can operate in space well and change of direction well. And those are the things that translate to change of direction. Okay. Very good. Well, let's take a quick break. We'll come back and then we'll finish up our conversation on the big nickel. Welcome back, everybody. Thank you so much for joining us for this edition of the Nick and Nolan Show. I am Nick Bat, along with me, Bruce Nolan. And we are going to continue our conversation about the big nickel, the Buffalo nickel, the specialized role, not position, on the defensive side of the ball that the Bills use in their defense. Is there a difference in mindset for what you would be looking for in a player that you were going to ask of this role compared to a player that you were going to ask to be a safety or to be a depth corner or even, you know, potentially even a starting corner or a linebacker. Is there, is there, you know, are you looking for somebody who has a little bit of a different kind of play style to be doing this role compared to a more traditional position? Well, I think the instincts are different. So, you know, when you see instincts of a deep, deep safety, you know, you, you refer someone ball hawk, someone who's able to know when they're being looked off by a quarterback, things like that. Instincts are different. Then you have someone who plays off ball linebacker and those instincts are different, right? Being able to get run fits, being able to understand when you're being reach blocked, things like that, right? That's instincts are different. I think that instincts in this position mean something different than they mean as a linebacker and they mean as a safety. I think instincts as this position comes a lot where you understand when the play is flowing to your side, you're able to not be not be blocked quite as strongly on that because one of the things you got to understand is that you, offense's ability to run out of 11 personnel really helps because the number one determinant of how successful your run game is is how many people you're running into. So I know this sounds really weird. I know it's not necessarily related, but it's kind of related to what we're talking about. The number one determinant as far as how successful your running back is going to be is how many people are in the box. It's actually not about how talented your offensive line is and how talented your running back is. The biggest correlation there is how many bodies there are, which makes complete sense when you think about it. Well, one of the things that people do to get bodies out of the box is They'll go to 11 personnel and they'll split somebody into the slot and they'll take a body out. Well, that means that that player, that defender who's covering that slot needs to be aware that there might be a potential need to crash down and make plays on the run. And so instincts mean differently. I mean, they mean different things in that position because you have to have instincts in the run game, but you have to have instincts like a nickel corner would where there's option routes and inside outside. You have to understand how to bracket. You got to understand where your leverage is, things like that. If there's a banjo call on the outside, you got to be able to swap a uh, banjo. Banjo call is a two on two coverage call where there's a um, there's an outside and an inside receiver. And if they have a crossing pattern or something like that, the defenders will swap on it. So those are things like that, that are more in common with a corner than they are with a linebacker or a safety. So you almost have a linebacker body type with nickel corner instincts, if that makes any sense. You mentioned Gronk. And then, of course, you know, we we think about Cole Beasley and Wes Welker, Julian Edelman, and all the all the you know shifty slot guys. In in a perfect world, if an offense was rolling out 
the lineup that the Patriots would use with Gronkowski on the field that we're, we were all familiar with and saw many, many times. Or they rolled out a an offensive set where Gronkowski wasn't on the field, but in his place was Wes Welker. If you had an established big nickel that you trusted, is it your opinion that Sean McDermott and Leslie Frazier would have the exact same defensive personnel out there, all other things being constant, regardless of whether which of those two receivers the offense was trying to implement? It is my opinion that they would prefer that, yes. How likely is it for a player to have the ability to be able to cover both of those guys? Because that seems... You know, that seems crazy. <laughs> it's um, it's rare. I'll say that it's rare. And one of the reasons why someone like Shaq Thompson ends up being a first round pick is because that's rare. So so with the Bills current roster, you know, I think that Saran Neal is a guy that people again talked about. I mentioned that at the very beginning of the show. Saran Neal is a guy that that Matthew Fairburn specifically you know, floated the idea that he thought that maybe the Bills, when they drafted him, that was potentially their end goal in mind with Saran Neal, was that he could become a big nickel. Dean Marlowe is a guy who has gotten some run in that position. Uh, Raphael Bush, before he retired, was a guy that I think played a lot of snaps at that position, especially whenever, well, he, he was on the field a lot, even whenever there was a traditional safety that was out. So Raphael Bush saw snaps at that at that role. Is there anybody on the team right now or even, you know, you could speak to Saran Neal that the Bills maybe have that fits that mold? And, you know, is there anybody who maybe they're going to try to make do that, but you're not that optimistic about how they actually translate? I think Saran Neal is the obvious candidate for this kind of thing. And I think that I'm less optimistic about him this year than I was last year. I think that he performed fine last year. I really do. But I think that there's enough there is enough concern about his ability to hang against smaller, faster players that I wouldn't necessarily think that that's absolutely 100% set in stone to have Saran Neal do it. But it's clear to me that they trust Dean Marlowe to do it. And I trust Dean Marlowe to do it. Boy, Dean Marlowe was right there. And I trust Saran Neal to do it. They're just not going to do it at a crazy high level. One of the reasons why we were talking about potentially having Jeremy Chin, potentially having Kyle Duggar, is because you're taking those snaps that you were previously going to allocate to Jeremy, to, sorry, to Dean Marlowe or to Saran Neal, and you're putting them in, in the hands of a much more dynamic athlete. It's a lot like it's a lot like the TJ Yeldon argument on the other side of the ball. That listen, there are going to be 150 touches for TJ Yeldon. Wouldn't you rather have a better athlete be doing them? It's a lot like that with this. There are going to be snaps where we're going to have somebody asked to play that role. Now, wouldn't you rather have a much more dynamic athlete? And that's what you were going to get with Chin or with Kyle Duggar. The reason why we didn't reach for a player of that type later on in the draft is because it's one of those scenarios where, you, I mean, okay, I'm going to find an upgrade. Again, it's not a position. You're not trying to fill a position. It's a role. So it's not like you're going into the season and there's a spot on your depth chart that's just missing because it's not a position. It's a role. And we can have other people fill it. We just might not be able to have them fill it as well. So with the Bills having the players that we have and the skill sets that we are aware everybody's has and their limitations, does that leave Taron Johnson to basically be the traditional nickel corner who's going to come in whenever there are the smaller, faster guys who are going to be in the slot that 
you know, hypothetically would be Saran Neal's responsibility if he was on the field as a big nickel. But, you know, the concern is, right, the smaller, faster guys. Is that what leaves the responsibility to a guy like Taron Johnson? Yes. So for, you know, for Jamison Crowder duty, for example, I think that, you know, you're going to see Taron Johnson a lot on the field a lot more because that's what we saw last year against the Jets. So I think that depending on the type of nickel is going to depend on the type of nickel defender that you're going to see, because really, that's really what this is about. It's about nickel defender. Who is the nickel defender? Who is that fifth guy? Is it a linebacker? Is it a safety? Is it a corner? Because really, that's for us based on who their nickel offensive player is. Who do we consider to be their nickel offensive player? Is it a second tight end? Is it a third wide receiver? Is it a second running back? You know, I know you're famously fan of the pony backfield, right? Is it a second halfback? So depending on who their nickel offensive player is, going to depend on who our nickel defensive player is. And ideally, you'd like to avoid that. Ideally, you'd like to have the exact same nickel defender regardless. But we don't have anybody that versatile. So I don't think you're going to see that. I think you're going to see more specialization. And that's where Taron Johnson comes in. And so you're going to kind of scroll between A.J. Klein, Taron Johnson, Sarah Neal, Dean Marlowe to be that nickel defender, depending on, you know, the variables that the offense throws at you. Yeah. And AJ Klein as a nickel defender is a terrible idea, right? He he doesn't play in space well. So one of the things that I was pounding the table for Jeremy Chin at 54 and pounding the table to try and get somebody in that, even though people were yelling at me about we need offensive players is because right now our three linebacker set is, I would argue, a downgrade from the way our three linebacker set was last year with Lorenzo Alexander. I would argue AJ Klein's a downgrade from Lorenzo Alexander in three linebacker sets, especially when they want to play space. So the same problems we ran into, what you and I were worried about with the Ravens last year, you know, getting three linebackers on the field and then having them play in space in a way that they're not comfortable with, with that third linebacker, whether that's a Sam or a Will linebacker or strong side, weak side, as sometimes the Bills like to do. So for us, it is you know, left and right. It, it, it's, it's going from Lorenzo Alexander, to AJ Klein. I'm still not comfortable. If the Ravens roll out two or three tight end sets and AJ Klein's got to play in space against tight end and running backs a lot. I'm not happy with that. I'm not comfortable there. So I would have liked to have seen another nickel defender brought in, but as it currently stands, he's our third linebacker in three linebacker sets. So there may be scenarios where because of AJ Klein's deficiencies, we end up rolling out Saran Neal in scenarios where other teams would necessarily roll out a three linebacker set because we're afraid of him in space. So for example, we play the Ravens in the playoffs next year, right? Let's say we get the playoffs, we play the Ravens. Great. If that's the case, then they, and they go two or three tight end for their Greg Roman offense, we might not put AJ Klein on the field. We might say, listen, I understand he's a little stouter than Saran Neal, but I don't feel comfortable with him playing in space against some very talented Baltimore tight ends, Mark Andrews. And so, you know, it's maybe a scenario where we put Saran Neal in there instead. So I'm not comfortable with it because you don't have that one guy who you say, you know what, no matter what you throw at me, I'm going to keep this personnel grouping on the field. And that's what the nickel defender, who's a big nickel, that is what that buys you. It buys you the ability to play in a space where most defensive coordinators would be uncomfortable. It allows you to play in a space that 
the offense is trying to get you into a space where you're uncomfortable. They're trying to get you to play in this middle ground between base and nickel. And you go, well, fine, I'm willing to play that because I have a defender who can play in that space. We don't have that right now. If we play out the scenario where the Ravens roll out a three tight end set, so let's say Greg Roman calls a running play. He doesn't care. It's a three tight end set. He calls a running play. They go out there, and so they bring on three tight ends, and A.J. Klein stays on the field, okay? And you run the ball, and the play goes as the play goes. Well, now Greg Roman knows, okay, so for this afternoon, it seems like when I have three guys on the field, the Bills are going to have A.J. Klein out there. So I'm going to be throwing a lot out of this three linebacker set because AJ is going to have to cover somebody and we're just going to ride that down the field if, you know, to an extent, right. And vice versa. If he calls a running play and they roll out there with the three tight, three tight ends and Saran Neal comes on the field and they run the ball. Then Greg Roman says, okay, all day today, I'm going to be running the ball out of three tight end sets because they've got Saran Neal on the, on the field. And I'm confident that my third tight end can block him much easier than they would be able to AJ Klein. Right. I mean, that's ultimately the it's exactly right. It's exactly what we're trying to say. They're trying to force you to make a binary decision where either way you're wrong. And that's the entire purpose of things like this. The entire purpose of having long athletic defenders on the second level, which I would consider the big nickel, a second level defender. Those people, the purpose of that is to not be forced into those bad binaries. And Greg Roman is one of those players who can force you into bad binaries that are going to make you answer the question wrong, regardless of how you answer it. No matter how it goes, it's not going to be ideal for you. And so this is a scenario that's going to be interesting to see how it plays up this year. What do you think about the Bills having a nickel coach in this situation, right? I mean, uh, being a team that wants to use a big nickel and is going to use some version of it with Saran Neal and Dean Marlowe. What do you think of the Bills having a position coach dedicated to that role? And maybe just in general outside of the big nickel conversation. I think it's great. I do. Because I would make an argument that nickel defender is a markedly different position than boundary quarter. It really is. Boundary quarter is a markedly different position. It's like, goodness gracious, it's like playing playing Sam linebacker versus playing Mike linebacker. Yes, they're both linebackers, but the responsibilities are different. I would argue the two of those positions are closer to being equal than nickel defender is to being outside boundary corner. So the responsibilities are different. You and I just talked about how the instincts are different and need to be different for a nickel defender than they are for a boundary corner. Well, if the instincts require different, that means the teaching is different. Because it's not like you're just left to your own instincts. Well, okay. I mean, you you get taught that stuff. You get taught where to look with your eyes. Where are your visual keys? When do I pull the trigger and come downhill? When do I not? When do I slow play this? When do I make sure I'm being I'm holding on the backside so that I'm not getting taken advantage of my misdirection? Things like that, those visual keys, those decision-making skills, that stuff is taught. It's not like you're just you walk into the NFL. When we say the word instinct, some people say, well, you know, they either got it or they don't. Well, I mean, yes your ability to process stuff. I would argue that processing is a better term for this than instincts because processing is based on your ability to exactly right that process information. And that's based on what you've been taught. So because the processing strategies are different, I don't see why we, there wouldn't be a different coach. I think it's great. I think when we hired him, I did a solo pod about it. And I talked about how this actually lends itself toward Sean McDermott being described in a way that he probably should be described as, which is shockingly progressive. Everyone thinks because of the, the, the cliches, the football cliches that 
Sean McDermott rolls out, that somehow that means he's not a progressive coach. But I would argue the hiring of a nickel coach means he actually is a progressive coach because he recognizes that the processing necessary to play down closer to the box and play inside is markedly different than that on the outside. And those players need to be taught different. Awesome. Well, I think we're going to go ahead and leave it there. Do you have any parting words before we before we close up here? It's good to be back. All right. Good to have you back, bud. Well, thank you, everybody, very much for joining us for this edition of the Nick and Nolan Show. I'm Nick Bat. You can find me on Twitter at N-I-C-K-B-A-T. Bruce, where can the people find you? At Bruce Exclusive. Please let us know what you think of the podcast. Hit us up on Twitter. Uh, go over to the iTunes store and leave a review. Head over to Stitcher.com on your desktop computer. You can leave reviews for the Buffalo Rumblings podcast channel there. And Jimmy Salgado, right? So this is the guy that we were just talking about, the Bills' new nickel coach, or Jim Salgado, depending on, I don't know if he likes Jimmy or Jim, the Buffalo Bills website versus how he was originally uh, announced at the Buffalo News is the different names. But either way, you know, it's interesting. So we were just talking, Bruce was talking about all the things that the nickel coach is going to be drilling into his players that are his responsibility. And uh, it's interesting. I, I, I don't know how legitimate it was, but I saw on Twitter somebody was uh, showing a video of one of Jimmy Salgado's uh, lectures or, or you know moments that he was talking on Zoom or whatever it is the Bills are using with their players as they're going through this, this virtual camp and all of that. And uh, Jimmy Salgado... It, I don't know exactly what the content that they were talking about was or what the topic that they were reviewing with the players was, but here's a little snippet of what Jimmy Salgado was telling his players during that virtual meeting. I do the cha-cha like a sissy girl. I like a do the cha-cha. Cha-cha.